0: Hey, I'm Alan. And I'm Brent. Uh, I held an event, uh, hosted an event at Microsoft two days ago um, for about 35 uh, senior quality and test people about leading change. And Brent, you were at that event. So what was your big takeaway from
1: that? Well, so first off, I thought that event was fantastic, Alan. Thank you for putting it together. The Golf clap. <laughs> the second thing I would say that, that um, I walked away with I was surprised at the the audience I was surprised not not the audience per se the audience was great, but I was surprised at how small the audience was. That actually concerns me uh, you know
0: elaborate because I have all kinds of comments i don 't know where to start
1: no so the way I see it is uh, we 've seen these these similar events that Alan uh, puts together on a monthly basis. And uh, we've seen times where the room is packed, and then we see times where the room is packed with uh, crickets. The This time around, I think it's one of the most important topics uh, that, to me, doesn't seem as resonating with, well, with the, the populace I, I, at large.
0: I have another theory. You know, a lot of times when we pack the room, we get a great speaker to come in, and people can just come listen. They don't have to participate and get involved and you know put some skin in the game. When we do an event like this that's largely discussion based, we get the people there who want to get something out of it. We get the people that embrace learning, and have a thirst for learning and want to get some new ideas and they understand, you know one of the things that I believe in a lot that ideas come from ideas other ideas getting together. And the people in that room understand that, but not everybody in any community gets that. If you look at you know Wikipedia for example is a is a great story of where you know one percent and i'm I'm not looking any of this crap up, but you know, like one percent of the users actually contribute, and everybody else kind of just consumes. I think with a lot of educational or community opportunities in both in Microsoft and outside of Microsoft, there are people that want to actively participate and put some skin in the game, then there's a the larger majority that just want to consume whatever is put out
1: yeah no i I, I see that as well. the topic for last for last week was leading change and, and how could the people in the room help to contribute that, what problems they saw. Um, one of the problems that I see is that there's far too few people in that room, given everyone is in a panic, maybe near panic, um, around what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for the team? What does it mean for the company i think one of the things that will be helpful is for us to figure out well what's what's blocking what is the resistance to getting people to lead themselves
0: uh, a couple comments there one is you know there's this huge catch 22 this uh this uh chicken and egg problem where people they need to get they need to get some more ideas and learn but they're so busy dealing with the stuff they don't have a chance to learn about and deal with, they can't actually ever get a chance to learn how to deal with it.
1: I I had a discussion just this last week, just two days ago, with an individual uh, in one of the teams who is all excited about going to the, the data science world um, and is actually considering leaving their team... Uh, because they they are in one of the, uh, we'll call it the execution entrenched divisions. All right. They're considering leaving their team just to have the ability to explore this option.
0: You know, it's interesting because data is becoming so important. And, uh, you know, data science is obviously a uh, direction that some testers will move in. Uh, But it reminds me, um, do you know what a data scientist is?
1: Uh, no, Alan. It's a,
0: it's a statistician that lives in Silicon Valley.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's a couple over in Amazon.
0: <laughs> no, but the idea is, yes, I think, as I think we talked about last time, a lot of testers at Microsoft and a lot of the uh, test approach and quality approach at Microsoft is shifting from just executing a bunch of tests and looking at a test pass rate and going, huh, and to more of looking at real data from customers and making decisions based on that and um, both business intelligence—you know how many users downloaded this thing—versus and, and doing some uh, building statistical models and, and making predictions based on what we know on, on a variety of data sources, which is kind of fun.
1: It's it's a total blast for for those of us who who are in the—I'll I'll say the ivory tower—currently and get to play around in this playground. Well, you
0: know, it's funny—you um, know, Brent and I are both people who love to learn new things, and uh, I'm taking a. Uh, statistical analysis and data inference course on Coursera, and I was sitting at my desk the other night, and I looked down at this notepad on my uh, in front of me, and there were some math equations written, and you know I don't, they looked like real math equations. I can't even remember what I was trying to figure out, but um, I was it was it was just I thought oh my
1: gosh I'm what am I doing I'm learning math again. <laughs> So I just recently started up, um, I'm pursuing my master's in analytics. And one of the first things that I did when I got my first course is I scanned through the book just to make sure I did not have to remember how to integrate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, where are we go? Let's get, um, as you know, uh, Brent and I also are known as the ADD Club. And uh, hey. we were talking about leading change. And yep. I think there's, uh, It's you're right, you need... Leaders lead, right? They're not just – it's not just a figurehead in charge. You need to have ideas for getting people
1: through change. So the thing I'm thinking through – so answering my own question around why others aren't showing up is I think, number one, uh, they don't know what the value is and they don't know why it's valuable. Um, we, we I've seen a lot of messages lately around uh, leaders standing up and saying, hey, this is what we're going to do, and it's going to be awesome, and there'll be unicorns and rainbows and free candy for everyone once we do this. But the problem is, I think there's a lot of resistance uh, culturally around going there. Um, There's a lot of machinations in place, a lot of uh, processes in place around how to get a good review, People don't know why we're doing these changes. They don't know how it's going to affect the review process. Um, there's cultural changes all the way up to, um, well, all three roles, dev test and PM, all three roles in engineering. Uh, well, maybe I guess user user two, user design. Um, the I think the key thing is that the leaders are explaining what they want. They're not really explaining how we know we got there, the what what defines success, and they're certainly not explaining why uh, what we did before no longer works today. Right, and,
0: and the why is super important. We talked about the quality day uh, we did uh, a few weeks back uh, in our last podcast, but the, the key behind any sort of – when you're making any sort of change, whether it's a small change or a big change, but especially with the big change, the – Better you can convince people of the why, or show them why, or show them why it's important, and why change is needed, and why this particular change is uh, will be successful, or is a good chance for successful. But getting that why in place is critical. If you, you know, there's a Lewis Carroll
1: quote you use once in a while. What is it? Uh, the Lewis Carroll quote is, um, "If you don't know where you're going, then any road will get you there."
0: perfect and that's i think a lot of change is is you know done that way and it's awful so you know when i uh you have a vision in mind know it's going to uh know it may change over time but you need to understand why change is important and i think that's uh sort of the piece that's missing in a lot of the failed change management i've been a part of or or seen over the years there's
1: there's I'll, i'll 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 add to that alan um I don't know who's the, the quote for this. Uh, I, maybe it's Sun Tzu. I, I'm not actually certain, but there's a there's a quote that says, um, "Strategy without tactics is a dream, and tactics without strategy is a nightmare." Yeah, that is that is from the uh, the Art of War, right? I, I I believe so. the 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 point there, or the way I interpret that, is that you not only need to know what to do, you need to know why. And actually, more poignant to what we're talking about. If you only know what and not why, as the quote says, that's a nightmare. As opposed to knowing why but not the what. Um, an example uh, I like to share a lot is about a doctor back in the 1850s, Ignaz uh, Semmelweis, who was a maternal doctor, and he discovered um, through Intuition-based uh, correlation that exploratory medicine. Sure, Okay <laughs> like it, it wasn't. It wasn't a scientific um, principle. But what he discovered is that every hospital he went to, and he was often hired to be the the chief doctor. I don't know what their title is, um, master doctor, super Jedi doctor, Jedi, Jedi. I love that Jedi doctor master. He discovered that every time he. In it instituted a policy that forced his, his surgeons to wash their hands. Once they did that uh, at a sustainable pace, the mortality rate of, of women who were pregnant went down to below 1%. And he saw this over and over and over again, and he tried to share it with the community. The community asked him, well, why? He didn't know why. In addition to that, the community was indignant at that time. What? You're telling me to wash my hands? Like, how rude is that? It was sort of the, the perception at that time. This this poor guy um, ended up dying in an asylum asylum. Knowing this knowledge and knowing that he was failing to get it dispersed around the community and knowing that that was killing pregnant women drove him crazy. He ended up dying at, in the mid-40s in an in insane asylum. He knew what to do, but he didn't know why. So carrying on what you're talking about, what would be an example that you see a lot around, uh, you said, a failed child change management?
0: Probably the biggest one is you know, teams, and I've seen this both inside and outside of Microsoft, teams struggle to transition to, you can't see my air quotes, they, they struggle to transition to, air quote, agile. lowercase a or uppercase a they go oh we're doing agile and 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 the people on the team that literally go from one step one day uh having a very predictable model where they're you know testing at the end and testing quality in and and then shipping that product the next day now we're we're doing this agile thing and i guess we do this and that and they they have scrum and they have these things called sprints and they don't really know how long they are and and they feel like they have to estimate more, and they're going crazy, but they don't know why. They don't know what benefit they get from these changes. All, their reasoning, in some cases, literally is, um, someone on our management chain heard of this thing, and they want to try it. I don't know what it does or how we're doing it, but we're going to figure it out. And guess what? They fail. Ends up being a, they end up creating worse software, and they go, oh, and their conclusion is, agile doesn't work. Let's go back to what we know.
1: So what sort of failures have you seen?
0: You've heard me reference fragile before. I'll leave it at that. And and Scrum But. We do Scrum, but we have three month iterations. Okay. I heard a team once said, we're agile. I said, You are? I, said, I thought, really, you're agile? Yeah, we have three month iterations and we do planning for a month and then coding for a month, and then testing for a month. Like, so uh, okay. <clears throat>
1: <laughs> I I actually uh a couple of years ago, uh a buddy who uh came up and talked to me and he's he's been deeply entrenched in the Windows team for a long time and uh this was this was still back in the the Grant George days and former Microsoft vice president and he came to me and said Brent I don't understand why you are such a proponent for agile what's the big deal about agile and then he said something that simultaneously shocked and amused me he said windows agile i s- <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> and he said yes we're just slow agile i, I remember Slagil. The- what is that Slagil, slow um oh i like slow Slowgel. slow i like fragile better
0: trademarked patented whatever we tra- claimed
1: <laughs> yeah done interesting first off i i, I- I felt it was my my uh my role to indicate that he was wrong. <laughs> no. But I am very deeply interested in what led you to that conclusion. And he said very quickly, "Oh, well we're iterative."
0: Uh that's and you know what that's not the first time I've heard that. Not um you know people think and this is uh I don't want to like tell people they're dumb, but agile is much Ignorant. more than iteration. I mean um, and also, the thing I've, I've gone off on before is, you know, waterfall and agile are not a dichotomy. And in fact, you know, a lot of people throw out agile and waterfall as like, oh, we're not agile, you're waterfall. And, you know, every team I've been on at Microsoft, as waterfall y as they've been in the past, they're really iterative. You know, my very first project 20 years ago, Windows 95, we had, I think, uh, we shipped on our 12th milestone. And the milestones were anywhere from three to four months. It was a long project, but it was it was iterative. It was slogal. Um And, you know, we tested quality in like nobody's ever tested quality in before. It was still a lot done at the end. It wasn't um, – it was – you know, waterfall is truly predictive. And we weren't very predictive. We didn't know when we were going to be done. We had an idea when we wanted to ship, and we um, – you know, of course, we didn't hit that date. And I'm sure I don't remember how late we were, but it wasn't too late. But we weren't done testing quality in until we shipped. I
1: want to I want to I wanna call you on a, a word you just used. You said waterfall is predictive.
0: What do you think about that?
1: Well, what do you think about that?
0: I think if you do waterfall as and, and a lot of poor poor Winston Royce his he said in his paper, he said, here's. The a way you can make software that's not very good, and you should uh, iterate on it a couple times for it to work. And somebody looked at that picture and went, that's how to make software. Yeah. Oh.
1: I, I, so, so, yeah, it, there was – I don't remember the name, as, as Alan just mentioned, but I read that document, and I find that so funny. Someone the, – the document that introduced Waterfall to the world – talks about these gated serial of processes in terms of how you take the software and phase quality in and in the very last paragraph of that document the the guy essentially says and this sucks yeah. we should not do this
0: now you talked about that doctor earlier if there's a reason for someone to go to die in an insane asylum it's that guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: But uh, you know, to answer your question in the long in way. In a like asylum I, or in a cornfield <laughs> in Kansas somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. The poor guy. waterfall is very
0: predictive. In fact, you don't need to hire testers till the very end because you don't need them.
1: I want to be careful when you say – because there's also a, a, a number of folks in the data science world where predictive is about playing out um, what-if scenarios. Whereas really I would say a, a perhaps a better word for what you're – Trying to get to is intuitive, where waterfall it does start off with a series of predictions, and then they spend the next uh, three years in some cases keeping their predictions on track, but never re-evaluating them.
0: Right, and that is, and let's go ahead and move that forward. If you merely iterate, if you you know, I, and I've here's a, a better example of what I've seen is teams will have sprints. They'll have four-week sprints that are regular, but they plan six sprints in advance or every sprint in advance. Like, when are you doing that feature work? Well, I'm doing that feature work in sprint eight. It's Like, that is sort of mixing, you know, sprinter fall, whatever. I don't know what you, whatever you want to call that. But it, they're iterating, but it's not. You know, to me, I don't want to be like an agile, like, you know, this is not agile. That's agile. But uh, so I'm going to stop using that word.
1: I will do that shortly.
0: What I want, what I think is a great way to make software is adaptive, where you can, you're changing, you're adapting to the customer, you're adapting what the needs are. I think my favorite thing, my where planning went from like the most painful thing I ever did in software to where it's the part I look forward to the most is reprioritizing that backlog every at the beginning of every sprint I enjoy that it's fun I feel like I'm always working on the most important thing yes Brent just um for those of you not watching the video feed that doesn't (laughs) exist Brent just smiled
1: and pointed his finger at me in a a
0: vigorous manner
1: yes indicating that finally Alan has said something super smart for those of us keeping track this is three this year um (laughs) Is that calendar year or fiscal year? Uh, fiscal. Okay. Um, <laughs> the so one of the the popular things that have been asked of me lately, and I've done this ten times in the last three months, is I've gone into teams and taught them how my team executes, um, which is uh, it's a hybrid model of multiple different agile tools. Uh, it's it's fairly successful, but one of the first things that I start off with every time is I compare Waterfall and Agile, and I say, here's a simple litmus test, and Waterfall is probably not the right, right word, but it resonates with people, so Alan, I don't care. I talk about Waterfall really its key goal. If you look at the actions and the behaviors of what everyone is doing and aggregate it up to a single question... The question that Waterfall is constantly trying to ask is, is the plan on track? They don't evaluate whether or not that first initiative predictive plan is really the right plan. Um, Eric Ries talks about a build, measure, learn loop. And often I'll draw on, on the whiteboard, uh, build, measure, learn, circle them, and say, this is what Waterfall does, and draw an arrow from from build to measure, and then an arrow from measure back to build, and leave learn <laughs> off on its own, orphaned. And one of the things that there there are several instances. I, I'm not going to go in specifics today, but there are several instances where we know that these heavily entrenched waterfall organizations, uh, examples that Microsoft would would be windows and, and office, although I definitely see office rapidly changing. I see windows slowly changing. There's examples where they knew six months in advance that this a key change that they were about to release upon the world was hated by the world. But they didn't have the ability to learn and adapt and create a new direction and integrate that into the process because their primary focus was on is the plan on track? And we have to keep the plan on track. Agile is more about is the plan correct? The I love the word that Alan just used, adaptive. And in one of the things that I've made it my personal mission, every time I hear someone say agile is about iterations, I immediately stop and I won't let that conversation continue until they recognize. That it's not about iteration. The 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 key thing is creating a common shared language. If if people aren't going to spend the time under deeply understanding the what and the why, then creating a language that is unambiguous and constructs the right behavior is very helpful. So well, a- iteration should be gone. Adaptation should be in. Well, and th- and that
0: ties back to if you really get down to saying. Here's why, or what we're doing and why we're doing it. If you get people to understand why, I'll ask a question. I know the answer to because I want you to answer it. Why would a team want to use
1: adaptive software engineering processes? The business reason for why teams would want to do this is, uh, quite honestly, the world operates much faster than the way we've been operating. It's because, uh, if nothing else, survival. We need to have the ability to add value to customers uh, at increased speed. The primary reason why we need to do this is that the switching cost today, the ability for a customer to go from one company's product to another company's product, is almost instantaneous. So if we aren't creating a continuous stream of value, uh, then it's hard for folks to to choose to stay on our platform, assets, product, whatever you want to refer to. So the, the ultimate reason is speed equals money today.
0: It does. And there's a couple other things I've read about that recently. And I have no sources for these, so um, look them up yourself. But, you know, 20 years ago, and especially even longer ago, but even 20 years ago, the power of marketing to to influence someone to buy a product was the most prob- – of all the different influences, was the largest thing. Actual marketing, commercials, sales, magazine ads, et cetera. Uh, but today, it's influencers from the community. It's, it's customers influencing other customers. People ask their friends. People go to social media sites to find out what apps they use. And I can think probably half a dozen times I've gone to Twitter and asked – Hey tweeps, what's the best tool these days for blah? And they tell me, and I get, and I get, you know, that's the marketing. So you need to react to customers quicker. And if you go to that why thing, it's you know the uh, you can almost play five whys little root cause analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, and no one buys our product why? Because they don't like it. Why don't they like it? Because we're making stuff they don't like. Why don't they like it? Because they never get a chance to see it till three years after we planned it and put it in front of them, and it's no longer relevant. So in order to iterate and i'm going to use iteration as a path here in order to iterate and um actually in order to respond to customers you need to iterate quicker and adapt you can't just iterate Iterate iterating just just looping in circles like a dog chasing its tail it's fun to watch but not that exciting maybe maybe a very poor metaphor (laughs) but the the challenge is you really need to listen and and know when to listen and use the data going back to data wisely you know, there's people uh, often, and there's. I don't just pick on Microsoft, but a lot, of, a lot of times, um, companies think, "Well, we know what's best for the customer." In fact, I was so annoyed by a product uh, a couple years ago. You know, there was a feature in a product that I didn't like, and so I, I went to the product's forum and I posted, and some other people said, "Yeah, we don't like that either." And the response from the product team was, "Oh, we thought it would be." cool or we thought it would be good if we did it this way i said you don't get to make that choice you don't, as the product developer you don't get to decide what customers like customers get to decide what they like and you need to listen to them and often they'll fall back on say well if we the Ford quote if we just listen to customers they just want a faster horse you know, yes, you can innovate, but yes, you can listen to and you need to listen and react to those customers and you can't do that if you're purely predictive or purely iterative. You need to be able to listen and adapt and
1: change as needed. The difference between your innovation story and I think the the specific story that you're referring to is um, in terms of adding new value and exploring new markets, go ahead, experiment away. Um, However... When you deploy something, you should absolutely look at the, the engagement value of what you just deployed and determine whether or not it's, it's enticing customers or upsetting them. The product group coming to you and saying, we think customers should uh, be delighted by this. They're saying that to a customer. No, no. Uh, H- Henry Ford also said, we will do any color as long as it's black, <laughs> right? Um, how long did that last?
0: <laughs> I don't have my history book. I don't know.
1: <clears throat> no, it's a, we don't have all black cars today, right? The uh, differentiation, customization, and again, switching cost, right? I, I know what Alan's referring to, and I know there are hordes of competitors out there for that same paradigm the switching cost is so fast fine you're not going to help me do build quality from my own subjective point of view then i'm going to go to the company who will i don't care about your intuition if you've got data that shows uh alan our data is showing that the majority of people love this thing right fine that's a different story but if it's if it's we in our elite group of think tank PMs have decided that this is what's best. So one of my classes that I am taking now is, is on how to build information systems of the future. And one of the key pivots that, that I find fascinating is most companies and governments now are recognizing that pushing empowerment down and enabling a symbiotic relationship between people and the technology and society, whether it be a, lar- a small community or a larger community, by creating an efficient knowledge loop amongst all of those assets, speeds things up. It helps collaboration. It helps profitability. It helps Market discovery, it helps solidify your position in your current market. There's two things that I'd share. One of the, there's a, there's a key study in there where they talk about Xbox and they talk about a integration between Xbox and Comcast. And they talk about how um, this might've been a strategy against net neutrality And as I was reading, I'm like, holy crap, I was the QA guy for the Xbox during that time period. I owned the application for uh, the Comcast interaction, so it was kind of freaky to see. There's a whole textbook that has a case study around things. My name's not mentioned in it, but uh, around that scenario. The other thing, though, I'm, is that I'm learning best practices from other companies. Salesforce, as an example, has just, uh, I don't know when they did it, but there's a case study in there around Salesforce, how they are leveraging their customers to populate their backlog. They have, they have a public tool Where our customers could log in, say, we would like this, and other customers can come in and vote up and down.
0: Yeah, we've had products that Microsoft have done that through the Connect site, which is, I think, a great way to do that. I love that. I love that right after Xbox One came out, there was a community site emerged within a week with the same thing. Feature requests and votes. We didn't even sponsor that one. I love finding ways to let, you know, go back to XP, Extreme Programming. And, you know, let's get that customer in the room with us, which works if your customer is the guy in payroll from upstairs. But when your customer, when you have a million customers, finding a way to aggregate their voice in a way
1: that you can use to make product decisions and to help you adapt is fantastic. This is one of the reasons why crowdsourcing is so key. Like, if you're just talking to the one guy upstairs, then you're really relying on his specific knowledge and more than likely his intuition on the way to go by leveraging the knowledge of the crowd that's where you can get people to tell you for free hey here's a new market you should perhaps explore
0: yeah and it isn't until you look at numbers how do you know the one guy you talk to isn't the outlier or when you talk to three people how do you know that you know you get you know two of them say one thing one says another it's not a big enough sample to know if well, are these two outliers? Is that You can't make a decision based on that. You need to use some numbers you know, based on the size of your product and market reach, et cetera, to help you make, to use that, those voices
1: effectively. Yeah, absolutely. There's, a, there's another example that I think is related to this that, that also came out of the, the book. And, and part of my study is I had to look at key studies of companies. And uh, I just completed this yesterday and, and said, how, how does... Britain Britain's going to go all digital. They have a, a huge report in 2009 and they're going to go all digital uh, throughout everything and they're hugely excited about it because the there's a lot of costs that they're going to reduce and there's a whole bunch of new public good services they're going to be able to provide and in addition to that they're going to do a, a, an outreach out to rural. One of the things that they have discovered is the first phase that the government's are doing is they're converting analog processes, all this red tape, paperwork stuff, into digital format, and then what they've realized is like, hey, wait a minute, because we have all of this stuff digitally now, we could get rid of some of these analog processes, we can get rid of departmental siloism, for example, um, farmers in the UK, they used to have to file the same paperwork with each department that is relevant for their means. So now they go none of them
0: ever talk to each other. Because they they don't don't share anything, right? right.
1: So now what the farmers do is they go to one place and all that paperwork is distributed amongst anyone who's interested. The another common principle, and GE's gone to this, is around uh, they call it open procurement for the supply chain. GE will have a site anyone can get on. They say we need eight million widgets. And instead of having a dedicated supplier for producing that widget, all the possible suppliers come in, they look at the requirements and say, okay, we need it within this tolerance and and it needs to do this type of thing. And they bid. By making it an open market around bidders for their supply chain, they've reduced their costs ginormously. Hey, so um, how did
0: we get here? I don't know.
1: <laughs> we were trying to explain why.
0: Well, I think why is something we'll continue to explore, but let's go ahead and wrap it up for today, and uh, we'll come back in another two weeks and uh, let you know what's new in the world of Brent and Allen. Any, right. any final words, Brent?
1: No. So, well, yes, then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. what I, If there's anything that you walk away with, please understand the outcome of what you're trying to do. Don't just focus on the means, focus on the ends and tie those together. That is how you're going to make sure uh, as you execute on whatever you execute, hopefully you do it agilely, that you're focusing on what is correct.
0: Yeah. And even as a precursor to that, I would say that don't be passive in, Watching change go by, be a part of leading change in your own organization organizations because that's that's for the fun is. I think a lot of us can handle technical challenges, whatever, but handling people challenges and adaptive challenges and and change management across an organization is something that I need I wish more people in test and in software would embrace and 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 take on.
1: Amen. All right, we're out of
0: here. See ya. Bye. On and I see you you